Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Maffedon. Thanks for tuning in. If you're hearing the sound of my voice, congratulations on surviving this week's heat wave. On Monday, the city of Boston declared a heat emergency that began Tuesday, July 19th and ended today. Boston residents did all they could to escape the 90-plus degree weather. More than 50 splash pads are open at parks and playgrounds around the city. In addition, Mayor Wu opened 12 cooling centers at Boston Centers for Youth and Families Community Centers from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. this week. The BCYF Mirabella Pool is open through Sunday to combat the high temps. Whether the pools or fans got you through, we're glad you're still here. Although the heat emergency ends today, make no mistake, it is still very hot. Here are a few tips to keep you safe. Stay hydrated, regardless of activity level. Avoid alcoholic drinks and liquids high in sugar or caffeine. Limit outdoor activity to morning and evening hours. Avoid being outdoors from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. when UV rays are strongest. Pay attention to signs of heat exhaustion, which include heavy sweating, cool and clammy skin, dizziness, nausea, and muscle aches. Wear loose-fitting clothing and apply sunscreen of SPF 30 or higher. Check in on older adults and people with disabilities, our most vulnerable populations. And finally, please be careful not to leave children or pets alone in the car for any amount of time. Results can be disastrous. Imagine your place, imagine how your body feels in your tranquil, safe space. Take a big breath, lift the spine long. <clears throat> Young people are learning the benefits of yoga at the Yaki Club of Roxbury's The Boys and Girls Clubs. On Wednesday, the Roxbury Club, in partnership with Gripalu Center for Yoga and Health, led staff and youth in mindfulness and yoga fundamentals to improve their mental, social, and emotional well-being. These tools could not come at a better time. According to new CDC data on the mental health of U.S. high school students, in 2021, 37% of students experienced poor mental health during the pandemic. 44% reported feeling persistently sad or hopeless during the past year. Before I was doing yoga, my body felt more tensed up and they uh, in my in my head just you know was a little bit stressed out but when after the aftermath of yoga was my body uh, was stress-free and I felt more relaxed and my head was in a more uh, comfortable state and a good mental state after taking yoga I felt really happy and carefree like every all the little things they just didn't really matter anymore and I turned from really anxious and scared to just carefree and happy and started focusing more on my work. Today is gonna teach them how to manifest the power within, for them to learn how to breathe, learn how to exercise. They're gonna learn some yoga poses that's gonna help with mindfulness. And with the frenzy of the world constantly changing, it's gonna give them some tools to adjust, to be ready for September and for when school restarts. Young people uh, really need the tools of yoga today to help them de-stress, to help them focus, um, bring calm into their bodies, into their thinking, um, to help them make better choices. And so the tools that we'll learn today 
are breathing techniques, movement techniques, and rest uh, skills that will really help this, the boys and girls and adolescents um, make better choices. If you're looking for an intimate respite in the heart of the city, look no further than the North Meadow on the Greenway. On Wednesday, almost a year to the day from its groundbreaking, the Greenway Conservancy held a ribbon cutting for North Meadow of the Greenway. North Meadow is the newest park space between Boston's North End and West End. The location has been a point of transformation, from open water within the Charles Estuary to Mill Pond to being part of the Big Dig, the Green Triangle has found its identity as a welcoming neighborhood park. This is a beautiful park. Uh, it, we don't have much, you know, uh, when we talk about downtown, we talk about open space, we talk about how precious it is. And to, just to add a new, a new park, and I know that the, the elected officials were all a big part of making sure that that happened. But most importantly, not just that we have a, a new park, that we have a unique park. This is a unique area. It's not like anything else you're going to see along the Greenway or in the downtown area. And I thank everyone for having a, you know, being creative and being thoughtful uh, in making that approach to get us to where we are today. It was a year ago-ish today that I came and uh, was happy to throw that shovel of dirt as the city councilor for this area. And today I return back to you as the senator for this area. And I just wanted to say that um, what I have learned in that entire time and campaigning and getting to know so many more new residents and new constituents is that urban respite and places where you can have peace and green space is very valuable. And that this is what's adding to that moment. This is free. This is accessible. This is for anyone who just needs to sit and be at peace. And it, it's hard to find sometimes in a bustling city. It's hard to find when you're out there trying to get between your Starbucks and your job and so on and so forth. And this is that moment along the way. And I'm so happy that we invested in a moment along the way for peace and respite versus, you know, no offense, I'm, I'm glad we didn't build a building here. <laughs> I'm glad we built green space. I grew up in East Boston, not too far away. So what we would do as a family on Saturday mornings is take the Sumner Tunnel over here for about five minutes and come out into this dark massing, which was the central artery. And we would spend the day at, at Haymarket. And now we have this beautiful green ribbon throughout, the, throughout downtown Boston, and it connects the waterfront to the rest of Boston. So it is an incredible treasure. It's an environmental treasure. And this park is, is the last piece of it. Right? And, and it's an incredible thing that we can take advantage of now. Single-use plastics are everywhere. Although marked as recyclable, many plastic items are designed to be thrown away. With only 5% of American plastic actually recycled, these items from chip bags to plastic bottles are sitting in landfills, our streets, and worse. Beyond Plastics Greater Boston held a rally yesterday to stop the tsunami of plastic pollution. The newly formed Grassroots Boston chapter staged its debut as a three-part event starting at the State House. Activists demanded an improved bottle bill, statewide plastic bag ban, and extended producer responsibility legislation. If plastic were a country, it would be the fifth largest emitter of greenhouse gases. We need to stop single-use plastics immediately. They are uh, polluting our oceans. They have broken down into microplastics, so we are now in nanoplastics. We are now actually breathing plastics um, in sea air. Plastics are in our water. Plastics are in our food. Plastics are getting into plants and into our soil. So much of our single-use bottles are just being burned in berries in landfills and incinerators. 
And really the impact of that is worse on the communities living adjacent to these incinerators and landfills, which are communities of color, low-income residents, and um, indigenous communities. So we really need to do something to make a difference. Single-use plastics are lose, lose, lose. They're made out of fossil fuels, petroleum, so we're adding to climate change. They get used for five minutes and then we toss them and 92% of plastics have never been recycled. So basically we're making a garbage heap out of the ocean, we are littering our parks and streams, and we are inhaling the little tiny microplastics that these containers turn into. It's all bad news. The, the problem with plastics is they go through the, the uh, production stream and through through the markets and through the users and then they end up just God knows where. They end up all over the world in the trash and the oceans and uh, they last forever and you know they're out there doing harm. And um, so I'm, I'm really concerned about the plastics issue just from the standpoint of, the, of, of a waste disposal issue and how that affects you know, wildlife in the oceans. And, uh, and, and people, you know, ingesting plastics, you know, plastics break down and they're, they're just part of the cycle. It's, it's, it's not healthy because ultimately they're, they're petroleum and, and they're ending up in, in, in a lot in the biosphere. For a more in-depth conversation on plastic pollution, I'm here with Eileen E. Ryan, founder of Beyond Plastics Greater Boston, who is a climate and social justice activist. Eileen, let's just jump right in with the mission of Beyond Plastics. So the mission of Beyond Plastics is, I mean, Beyond Plastics, the national group, is to advocate for upstream solutions to the plastic pollution crisis. Okay, our group, uh, Beyond Plastics Greater Boston, is focusing on legislation and corporate accountability in Massachusetts specifically. Um, the local groups when they were started, I think, which is just this spring, and our group just started in April of this year, um, okay. Some of them are hyper-local, so they'll be working on maybe a, a ban just in one community, but I wanted to go wider with our group. So I actually worked on the single-use plastic shopping bag ban in Watertown, Massachusetts, which went into effect in 2017. And I know that Arlington, Massachusetts just uh, passed legislation banning single-use plastic water bottles in Arlington. And there are other communities. And all over the state, there have been different kinds of plastic bans, but we want to um, see if we can actually amplify all of this. Wonderful. And then Stop the Tsunami of Plastic Pollution. It's a three-part action event happening at the State House, as you said. What do you hope to achieve with this rally? Well, I really hope to uh, relay to the legislators how important some of this legislation is. It's actually been put onto the back burner. Uh, we really want an expanded bottle bill. So Massachusetts does have a bottle bill that was enacted around 1980. It only covers carbonated beverages in bottles and cans. So it doesn't, it doesn't apply to all these single-use plastic water bottles, the iced tea bottles, all these new beverages that have come on the scene since the early 1980s. It's also only a five cent deposit. So the expanded bottle bill will cover everything except for formula and milk and will really help to reduce the amount of weight that is in the recycling um, waste stream. So it will cover you know, heavy glass wine bottles and plastic water bottles, which we would actually like to get rid of altogether. But it's one of the most effective ways to get 
plastics out of the waste stream and get them properly recycled, meaning things are getting turned back into what they were before, not just what's called downcycled. And you talk about the, the myth of recycling on the website as well, that recycling actually isn't happening. Um, excuse me. So for those of us who do live by our giant blue bins at home or at work, uh, what, what can be done? Um, how do we um, combat this issue? Well, first of all, you should reduce as much uh, plastic packaging coming into your home as possible. If you have the uh, ability to uh, buy produce that's not packaged in plastic or get uh, foods in bulk, you should definitely do that. But when you do put stuff into your recycling bin, number one and number two plastics are the only ones that are really easily recycled and sometimes number five never put in any kind of plastic film or plastic bags. They just gum up the works. And I know some grocery stores say that their plastic bags are recyclable and you can drop them off, but I don't think they're really ending up getting recycled. A lot of this, a lot of our plastics used to go to China. In 2018, China stopped taking our plastics. And at that point, it was considered that we were recycling, even though it really meant exporting a lot of this, exactly. about eight and a half to 9% of plastics. I mean, that's what I learned last year when I was first learning all these uh, statistics about plastics is that only 8.5 to 9% of plastics have ever been recycled. But actually this spring, Jan Dell from the last beach cleanup and Judith Eng from Beyond Plastics uh, did research and they wrote an article that was published in the Atlantic. It's also on the Beyond Plastics website that only 5%, five, only 5% 5 of plastics are currently getting recycled. Um, and a lot of plastic now is also turning into uh, microplastics. So if you're not familiar with microplastics, that's what happens when plastics break down and they're getting into our bodies. They're getting into the air, they're getting into the water, they're getting into plants. They've been found in snowflakes in Antarctica. I mean, oh my goodness. it's really unbelievable. And the health effects are something to be very concerned about. So we're already seeing uh, the effects of climate change. For instance, in, in Europe, it was in the hundreds, unheard of in, uh, in the UK, for instance. So uh, in regard to plastics and climate change, what is the connection? Okay, well, I think a lot of people don't realize that plastics are made from petrochemicals. So they're made from fossil fuels and chemicals. 50% of any plastic product is actually chemicals and 50% is about, about 50% is fossil fuels. So if plastics were a country, the manufacturing of plastics were a country, it would be the fifth largest producer of greenhouse gases. That's after, I'm not sure I'm gonna get this in the, quite the right order, but it's after the United States, China, uh, Russia, and India. Plastics is fifth. So, so not only is it in the production of plastics where you know fossil fuels are being extracted, that we have these greenhouse gases going into the air, but also many plastics end up being incinerated, which is very toxic, and that's another contributor to plastic pollution. Hmm. So in regard to plastic producers, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo are among the highest producers in the world. Uh, so if these industries know about the harm that plastic is creating, that it's not being recycled as it should, and the fact that it really can't be, uh, how can we hold these companies accountable? First of all, the reason that they are using single, I mean, virgin, they're using virgin plastics and single-use plastics because they're cheap. 
Um, we need to have corporate accountability. We need to pressure these companies to do reusables and refillables, okay? So Coca-Cola was the model of refillables in the 1950s and 60s. And then there was a huge, there was a huge pushback from Coca-Cola when they realized it was cheaper for them to use single-use plastic bottles. But they can actually go back to using glass refillable bottles. And in Samoa, they were doing that until 2021. So there's an excellent move. There's a series of excellent movies that just came out. They're produced by Y Plastic and Break Free from Plastic Pollution. And one of the movies is called Coca-Cola's Plastic Promises. Coca-Cola produces, you can believe this, 50%. Yeah, no, it's 20, I think it's 25% of all plastic pollution is connected to Coca-Cola. So if we could get them to stop uh, with the plastic, it would, it would be a game changer. In some countries they are, I think in Brazil, they're using recycled plastic for their uh, products. So I'm not a big fan of recycled plastic for beverages because I think it gets more and more toxic as it wears down and microplastics can end up in, in your drinking water or your soda. Um, so I, I prefer glass. I mean, glass can be infinite recycled. One glass bottle can be turned into a glass bottle again and again, and it's not relating releasing any toxins into the beverage that it's in. Right, and especially with those microplastics, it's getting into our bodies. We don't even know the ramifications in the future of how it's affecting us. So extremely troubling. So I know there's a social justice aspect as well to uh, recycling, especially these plants. Uh, can you talk more about how these recycling plants are supposed to help, but how they might actually not be doing that in our communities? Well, I don't know if you've seen some of the unbelievable pictures around the world of just mountains of trash with, with children and low-income people picking through the rubbish, looking for recyclable uh, items. And then they are getting, I mean, they're getting burned in open fires around the world. I mean, this is an international crisis. Um, lots of countries in Africa are really suffering, Indonesia. Uh, once China stopped accepting our recyclables, um, a lot of stuff is now being sent to these other other countries. Um, but it's not just the recycling issue that's a social justice issue. There's also, I mean, people are also like pickers, they're almost like rag pickers who are helping with recycle, recycling, even here, you know, in this country as well. Mm -hmm. But another issue, environmental justice issue with plastics is where they're produced. So. A lot of plastics are produced in what's uh, known as Cancer Alley, which is an 85 mile stretch along in Texas and Louisiana. Uh, these, these petrochemical companies are based in communities of color. Uh, they were, they're near where there were you know, plantations with enslaved people. Um, the descendants of some of those enslaved people are still living there and they are getting really sick. I mean, there's all kinds of cancers linked to these petrochemicals and plastics, uh, asthma, obesity, um, you name it, it can be connected to plastic pollution. The other issue that's going on right now with production of plastics is not just in the South, but now we're fracking. We're, uh, we're fracking gas out of the Ohio River Valley. So that's Ohio, Kentucky, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania. And when you frack, you often, the groundwater becomes polluted and the people in those communities can, can no longer drink their water. 
And another issue, which we have in Massachusetts, because we don't have fracking here, because we don't have the kind of shale, the rock that you need for fracking. Exactly. A lot of plastics are incinerated here. So last year I was on a call for the, to support the expanded bottle bill, and there were people on that call from Saugus. It was absolutely heartbreaking talking about the amount of cancers they have experienced in their families, people they have lost to cancer because of the toxicity of the smoke that comes out uh, the emissions that are released from the, the uh, incinerators. And Springfield, Massachusetts has been the asthma capital of the country. I think it's uh, a little bit lower than number one right now, but that's also linked to incineration. Uh, so President uh, Judith Ank, she talks about how a lot of the ERP bills that are being passed in the U.S. are just not effective. But to shine some light, uh, she was in support of uh, a recent bill brought about by Assemblyman um, Engelbright in New York this past May. Uh, so what is it about this bill uh, that does he get right? And how can we use our legislature to really uh, curtail our plastic use? All right, so Engelbright's uh, bill is, is really good because it doesn't let the corporations monitor themselves. So what we're talking about right now is extended producer responsibility, also known as EPR, which is putting the burden of the disposal of the, of the packaging or the item that's been produced back on the producer so that the consumer and the taxpayer are not being held responsible. Because right now, municipalities are responsible for paying for the disposal of all this waste. Um, the Engelbright bill also doesn't allow just recycling as a way of reducing uh, responsibility. So I know the bill hasn't yet been adopted yet, but hopefully there is light at the end of the tunnel that New York can be a leader for the other states in the country. Uh, so for our viewers who want to learn more about Beyond Plastics and Ways to Help, how can they learn more? Well, um, Beyond Plastics has a website, www.beyondplastics.org. You can go there. You can join our local group, Beyond Plastics Greater Boston. Um, at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook uh, and our Instagram and Twitter are plastic free M-A-S-S -S, if you want to join us through social media. Um, I hope that everybody uh, will advocate right to their state reps and their state senators and advocate for these bills that we talked about earlier, the expanded uh, bottle bill, um, a single-use plastic shopping bag ban statewide, and good EPR legislation. Conservation Law Foundation has been helping to write the EPR bills for Massachusetts, and I know they also helped with the New York, the wording for the New York bill. Um, and also, if you see that you feel like you're, the place where you shop has a lot of plastic and you don't like it, I mean, you could talk to the clerks, but better is to write to the CEO of that company and tell them you don't like it. You can, you can say, love your product, don't like your packaging. Mm. Um, I think it's important to take individual actions. It makes a difference in your, difference in your own health, but we need to move beyond um, personal actions. I, I'd just like to say to everybody that your power and your voice as a citizen is much stronger than your voice as a consumer. Mm. Great, great note to end on. Eileen, this was completely eye-opening. Thank you so much for your time. 
To close out this evening, Boston Unity Cup will be back this fall after a two-year hiatus at Madison Park. A soccer fan delight, Boston Unity Cup is a citywide adult soccer tournament celebrating Boston's diverse community. BNN's general manager, Glenn Williams, had the chance to chat with Caroline Foscato, co-founder of Boston Unity Cup, about its very, very humble beginnings. Enjoy. So the Boston Unity Cup is a World Cup style soccer tournament for oh. adults. It's uh, free for entry and free for all spectators and fans. And we really use the sport of soccer to bring together our diverse communities, honor our immigrant and other communities in greater Boston, and really celebrate um, all of us as a united force on the pitch. Boston is such a diverse community, such a diverse uh, neighborhood. All the neighborhoods are, are, are different, unique in, in many, many ways. How did this whole thing get started? I mean, was it a recognition of, number one, that soccer is this incredible sport that everybody's been doing since they were kids, but also that it also kind of gets people to recognize the diversity of our city, I think, don't you? Yeah, that's exactly why it was started. You know. Um, the city of Boston is filled with beautiful cultures and amazing people from different backgrounds with different interests. We don't have a lot of spaces where we're actually bringing together all of that diversity in one. There's a lot of wonderful cultural celebrations or other celebrations around people's identities, but there's not this cross intersection of those. And the beauty of soccer is with its international you know, fandom and popularity across the world, it really does hit every country, every background, um, ethnicity, gender, age. And so it's really a space to say, here we are. This mm -hmm. is our beautiful Boston together in a happy, celebratory, joyous thing. Now I'm gonna assume that's, that's part, of the, part of the reason why you're doing this, is to get that's people from, from cross cultures to get an opportunity, not only to meet each other, but compete against each other, mm -hmm. high five each other on a good play, shake hands at the end of the game, kinda you know, be part of that whole community. And you've gotten some major people to support this. Yeah. Um, I, I know that you, we covered you a few years ago, but then that pandemic thing came came roaring through and we yeah. lost a couple of years of it. But you, I could tell by going to the website, which is www.bostonunitycup.com. Okay, there it is. And what, what it does is it, it, it has shown that people haven't forgotten that this is a great idea. And when you got people like the city of Boston, the Boston found Amazon mm -hmm. jumping in to help out, that must give you some real great confidence. Yeah, I mean, we've really had some people, um, you know, Arbel Insurance is another one, Northeastern, Connolly Partners, um, uh, Mass Soccer is a partner for us. So we've really had some returning people, Boston Foundation back again, um, Blue Cross Blue Shield back again, um, uh, Mass Health Connector is a new, new one too. They've got new people coming in, but we've also got these returners that know what the power of this is. And one of the things that we hear all the time is I don't really get it till I see it. And mm -hmm. so one of the reasons we're really happy that we have this moment with you and to connect with the community through the Neighborhood Network is we want everyone in greater Boston to feel like this is a moment for them to come watch some great soccer. 
Thank you for joining us, Boston. Remember, you can stream or watch the news on demand at bnnmedia.org. Each episode will be rebroadcast at 9.30 p.m. and 11 p.m. on Xfinity Channel 9, RCN Channel 15, and Fios Channel 2161. If you like the radio, you can listen to BNN News at 6.30 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. on WBCA 102.9 FM. Thanks again for tuning in. For BNN News, I'm Faith Amaphidon, and I'll see you on Monday.